You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but not limit us. Yeah, we talk about stand-up comedy, surfing, religion, family issues, Doritos, hemorrhoids, the bears, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Jamie! You can hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Thank you. Thank you for starting the podcast and the Zoom meeting the way that all Zoom meetings are supposed to start. It's like the law of Zoom meetings. <laughs> no matter how many thousands of times we've done it, there's always somebody who's like, can, can you hear me? I can't, I can't hear you. Why, why can't I hear you? You're like, how have we not figured this out yet? <laughs> yep. So how serious is lockdown over there? It is like a weird serious, like in the, like there's a lot of talk about how serious it is and should be, but at the same time, there are so many exceptions. It's like reading a stereo instructions, trying to figure out what you can and can't do. I mean, it's like, you would think that they would just say, everybody has to stay in the house. Nobody leave, nobody go out, everybody order your food online and like nobody go out. And they're like, okay, but, but... If you um, want to go exercise, you can go exercise like, like, as, like as far as you want, right? And then they said, not only that, you can go in the ocean and you can surf, right? Yes, they said, I, I got all upset because I thought that they, yeah. Then they said, you know, they, they like topped it with this little, oh, but you can't get there by a car. <laughs> and I'm like, that basically took like all of us out of the water, you know? So like, it sounds so like. This sounds like, um, because you're in Israel, it sounds like Jewish mother serious. It's like a whole so other level. <laughs> level so of like, I'll tell you what I'm it is. I'm going to tell you what the rules are, but I'm going to make it seem so impossible for you to do what you want to do. <laughs> so the, the best yeah, part I'm is I have a friend. about it endlessly the whole time. There's a friend, I don't know who I was talking to, but I told somebody about this. Uh, a friend of a friend saw me post on Facebook how upset I was that we weren't going to be able to surf. And she sent me this thing that said, actually, now they said you can go in the ocean. But at the bottom of the long list of like the introduction to the article, it said, oh, yeah, but you can't arrive there by car. So I wrote back to her because she was also a surfer. I said, what are you going to do? And I said, and this is where you don't get into rules with Jews. Because Jews, <laughs> who are, especially Jews who have spent time learning, will, uh, uh, do you know that there's a whole thing about people who have studied in yeshiva, right? People who've studied classic yeshiva learning as, as, as like their entire lives, who might have never even had secular education, right? Who have never even, you know, they didn't go to college, pass the LSATs with flying colors and go and be lawyers without batting an eyelash. Why? Because when you study traditional Jewish texts, all that does is pick apart things from a legal perspective. Go, oh, well, if it's like this, then it's gotta be like, so immediately I wrote back to her and I said, what are you going to do about this? I said, how are you going to get there? She goes, oh, that's easy. She goes, I'm going to drive to the supermarket and I'll park there because you can always drive to go get food. And then I'll just walk and go surf. You know, it's a couple blocks away. You just happen to go surfing. You <laughs> just happen to go surfing. So last week when I, uh, when I had a bris, right, I had a circumcision to do in Ashkelon, which was, it happened. I looked at the map. It was literally a couple of blocks away from the water. I parked in between the beach and the, you know, and the bris, went and did the bris, walked back to my car, changed up, took the board, ran down to the beach. And I said, if anybody gives me a hard time, I'll say, I didn't arrive yet. I, I, am, I am allowed to do circumcisions. I arrived here to do a circumcision. And then I went surfing. I, I, I ride by foot. I feel like sometimes like um, those rules sort of like encourage you to figure out creative ways to break the rules. For sure. And right, but, like, see, that's the great thing is you're not breaking the rules. You're actually using the rules against the person who made the rules. You're like, it's like your kid. That is you know the point I mean? of why God gave us the rules. <laughs> no, but that's like, it's like, like your kid, right? Your kid, you say to your kid, like, you need to go to your room. And like, but I'm still allowed to jump on my bed. Like, you're not allowed to jump on your bed when you're in your room. You're in trouble. And like, they, they will find every which way to say, oh, really? But you didn't say that I couldn't do this. I still that's remember, exactly I still remember being at your house for Shabbat one time. And we came home from temple and uh, uh, I was like standing in the room asking if I could help. And your mom said something like, 
well, we can't ask you to turn the light on. <laughs> I like, oh, I didn't ask you to turn so, the light on. I don't know how ra- how racy can we get in these conversations? Can we get nice and racy? Is that okay? Oh, go for it. <laughs> well, All right. So, uh, and and just, yeah, you just, for the, just for the listeners to clarify, the segue into the racy section was me talking about Jamie, his mother, and Shabbat. So, <laughs> I, well played, I, my friend. Very I, well this, played. This could get dark so, quick. <laughs> so, no, right there in that whole realm of like not being able to ask people to help you. And we talked about it a little bit last time, but there's a whole thing about whether or not you can ask people who are not Jewish to help you on Shabbat. Okay. So it's, and what a, a non-Jewish person is called in Hebrew, it's called a goy. And a lot of people use it in a derogatory sense, but really it just means nation, right? It means other nations. It's like, right? muggle. It's so, like muggle in Harry Potter world, right? There you go. There you go. So, um, but there's a thing, a thing that's known as what's called a Shabbos goy. And a Shabbos Goy is a person that you had around who you could use to do things, quote unquote use, to do things that you needed to do on Shabbos, right? Your so, but when Exactly. But when you do it, you're not actually allowed to ask the person directly. You can't say to them, can you please turn on that light? You have to say, whoa, isn't it dark in here? And then... I, they say like, oh, can, you think we should turn? I mean, if you feel like you need some light on, that would be great for you to turn the light on. Now, you notice we haven't gone into any of the racy part. And then, and then you continue. Then you continue to to to, to throw out even a greater and greater passive aggressive like hints <laughs> to your non-religious servant who's. Uh, so wait, so the so um, there was a, someone put out a video and they wanted to do something about like sort of this like traditional Jewish topics, but they wanted to do it from a very comedic angle. And I can send you, and we can put it in the footnotes uh, for the thing. Um, but there was a, uh, the, the scene of the, of this movie, this little, it's actually like a eight minute movie. And I, I, I wish I could remember exactly what it's called, but I can find it. Um, but this woman is sitting with her family and they're all wishing her a Mazal Tov because she has just gotten engaged to this, to this man. She then proceeds to walk into the other room and find on Shabbat, I mean, this is all happening on Shabbat, that one of, she figures out that one of the kids who was, you know, part of the family that was there snuck into her private sector of her room and turned on her vibrator. But she can't turn it off because it's Shabbat. So she runs out onto the street and finds somebody who she thinks isn't Jewish, persuades the person to come back and says, I mean, if you think that it should be turned off, like... It's a it's great. I'll send it. I'll, I'll definitely we'll put it in the show notes because it's really it's a fantastic little bit. You have to know all that background though to really get the joke. It's good. It's so good that she's that uh, dedicated to the law that she needs to like enter into this ex- extremely embarrassing and impossible <laughs> situation. That's great. Oh, it's it is great. It's very well done. Truth be told, it's well done. Hey, we talked last time um, about. Um, our radio show, and I remembered a couple of days later one of the pranks we pulled. <laughs> oh no! Um, I came into the studio and I said, "Jamie, you got to hear this song," uh, but I I can't figure out the name of it. I heard it last night on the radio, and you're like, "Well, let's just call the radio station." So we went on air and called another radio station, right? And so, and then, um, and instead of me just saying. Hey, what was the name of the song you played last night? I immediately pretended to be weeping and I told the DJ or the assistant that we got on the phone, I said, you know, you played a song last night during this hour and what, and my whole family was gathered around my uncle's bedside as he was passing. And we were all so moved by the song that we want to play it at the, uh, the funeral, but we don't know the name of it. Can you help us out? Do you remember this at all? Oh my God. I, I, and I, remember I, I you're cracking up in the background. And, and I kept saying, oh, that's my brother. He's crying because it was so miserable. <laughs> and then she said, and then she said, okay, I'm willing to help. And she said, this may be something we can use on the air. Would you mind going on air? And I said, yeah, definitely. I said, it'd be a great homage to my uncle. And she said, okay, let's talk about the song. She says, do you remember what time it was played or what it went like? And then I went on to singing while crying Big in Japan by Alphaville. Do you remember this? <laughs> no, I do not remember this. So, so, so I'm just going. 
<laughs> and we're both we're both laughing between trying to like talk through it and but then we'd try and turn our laugh into making it sound like we were crying. <laughs> the best part, I I can't decide if actually living through it the first time was the best part or now living through it is the best part. Oh my god. <laughs> like, I, I you know what's my favorite? We were we were chatting once, it was a couple of months ago, and I I'm sure you remember this. And we were talking about some of the stand-ups, you know, ridiculous things that we did. And all you said was, could you imagine if there had been video on phones when we were in college? Oh, yeah. And my entire life flashed before my eyes and I went, oh, God, I would have no job as in yeah. any religious sense. Like, it's impossible. I always think I'd either be incredibly wealthy or uh, life in prison, if that were the case. <laughs> One or the other. But definitely not a spiritual leader. That definitely, there's like no in between. Yeah, and there's no, let's just clarify for everybody listening. There's probably no like illegal breaking points for either of us that would kick us out. But there'd be less sort of like respect and notoriety of people if I was applying to a church and someone was like, well, let's check out your Facebook page. Let's, go, let's, let's, uh, let's Google you for a second and be like, <laughs> yeah. what? You ended up? Doing what with a wetsuit? Like, no, that yeah. that can't be you. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you st you stripped down on stage while playing Stairway to Heaven and was wearing a wetsuit at the end of it. Not sure we clear. While I was playing Stairway to Heaven, just for the record. I played Over. a note here and there. But... Did you? Did well, you? I don't. I just remember you. I kept calling like, okay, and that's the end of the song. And then you would turn me and a song keeps going, and I the bit was the bit was that right the bit had to go on obnoxiously long because the song goes on obnoxiously long and my yep. first kiss was to this song and your first kiss is always is already so like it's so dragged out mentally like am i gonna <laughs> do it should i do it now is now right is now not right that that I, we had to drag out the bit and it was unbelievable. And then the song and then it's when the when stairway picks up pace and turns into like a half heavy metal song you're like oh no now that the mood is off i can't do it now i definitely can't do it now but that's when we that that in the bit that's that's what i said we kissed was like <laughs> we, have been, we have been slow dancing for 14 minutes and then it went into the heavy metal outro and that was like that was the moment that's the that's the time this that's is it. it this is my this is my moment yep yep <laughs> That was good time. I do wish I do wish some of that, like that stage stuff, was on film because there were, you know, it, it's it's never it's never priceless comedy, but it's just great memories. And I tell do, stories. Do you, do you, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember that that when I when we first did stand up, we I you introduced me. I did my bit. I don't know if you remember that I did my set, right? And we were and we were sort of like leading off the night, right? And then I at the end of mine introduced you. Do you remember? I don't know if you remember this. And I said, and here's Ralph Supper. And somebody yelled from me, yelled at me, like from up in the, the balcony. Super. Goes, it's super. And I said, whatever, you love him, you eat him. Here he is. Like, <laughs> probably my best improv moment of my life. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I said your name wrong in the middle of the bit. That was good. So yeah, that, that first one was, was so raw too. There was like, there's Im improv gold came out and also improv oh turds came out that were just like, <laughs> never do that again. But, but like, do you remember that we had, wait, but do you remember that for us, there was something going on in the midst of it all? Like, so we, we got together, right? We decided we were going to do stand up interlaced with some improv through the night, you, right? Are you finally admitting that you had a romantic feelings for me? Is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> this uh, is it. You you Only episode me. two and we're in it. Yes. <laughs> So, so what happened was we decided, okay, I mean, like if you're going to do improv, you, like some people who do improv, right? How long have they been working together for years? Right. And they all know exactly what they're thinking and they're right. So we're like, we got to get together and practice. But oh, yeah. we knew one extra person who actually did improv and we decided to invite him into the troupe. Remember this? Was it the, the weird kid, Ryan? It might, I don't even remember his name. I know exactly what he looks like. I know exactly what happened. Little, was All it a I little, know is, little squirrely kid? It sounds right. No, he was kind of, he was a little bit stockier. Um, and he was performing with some troupe somewhere, uh, probably in Greg? Providence. Or Greg DeSantis. Yeah, Greg. that's right. It was, it was Greg. Yep. So yep. Greg missed all of the practices which were probably like one and a half practices right it wasn't wasn't much but he came on the stage and we decided to do a, the first thing i think we did was the world's worst and yep. we did the world's worst ra right resident assistant 
And we all started doing whatever we thought was the worst thing that we could do. I think I, 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 at the moment, I don't remember what you did, but I think I ran out and went like, everyone go to sleep, go to sleep. And I just started screaming like as if I was a madman. And you know, people yeah. kind of laughed and whatever. And then Greg stepped forward. And I remember feeling this like absolute fear. I don't know if you had the same experience where I was like, I have no idea what this guy is going to say. Because you hadn't practiced. No, yeah. Right. Never practiced with him. I just heard he was in an improv troupe. It's like putting I, it's like putting somebody up to go rock climbing without a rope, and you're like, well, he said he can climb. I mean, right. and then like he falls, you know what I mean? So he and that actually happened to me for a different time, a different story. So the so the uh, so he steps forward and he says, uh, and this like and he goes into this absolutely different voice. Like he goes like all like, um, I want to thank everyone for coming to the first day, and I'm like, oh god, where is this going? And it seems drag on and on and then he nailed it do you remember what he said i don't goes, but i remember i remember the he first goes time. he goes i want to thank everyone coming for the first day in the meeting and in my room and then i'm in room if you need anything i'm in room 218 and then he goes um and there's been some room changes uh uh the the they've they've told me in whatever services that the, the rooms have changed um uh, and the room changes are as follows uh, Sally and Michelle, room 218. Um, <laughs> Marcy and all the women were like being directed out to his yeah. room. It yeah. was a great bit. But from my vantage point, I don't know how you felt. I was plotting, as we say in, in Yiddish. I was so scared that he was going to bomb it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, when he always had that like sort of dry, long form ability to, to like take a joke and, and, and ride it out to the point where you were uncomfortable with it and then hit the punchline where I think we were, we were so raw at that point that we had like, we, we, we thought we needed to get in, hit it hard and get out rather than yeah, like, let sure. it stretch out, let people kind of settle sure. into the uncomfort, the discomfort and then hit them harder, you know, and that's, you know, that's something I, I'm sure you may have learned in your, um, in your profession too, like public speaking, For like sure. the, the longer you can let that tension sit, the, right. the, the, the more impact you're going to get at whatever your end game is, you know, whether it's you sure. know, celebration or sin or uh, law right. or comedy, right? You've, you've got to right. be comfortable with the uncomfortable or else you're going to look as, you know, I think both no. of us were sort of like all over the place. Oh, I'll, still, I'll still give you probably the best joke of the night. His was good, but then we did a game of props. Do you remember that we had the, uh, we had those sure. yep. discs right the red and the red, yep. those things that you put under the zamboni yeah right yeah, yeah. And we did props and you took the two things do you remember the joke you did i, I don't it's, i don't remember all of them see that this is what's great see we're perfect for each other because you remember <laughs> all the the radio stuff none of it it's not in my head at all and i remember every single thing that happened on those stand-up nights they were so like for me they were so impactful we got up there and we played a game of props and we had gone a couple rounds already and you had these two discs. Let's say that they were the size of like a small coffee table, right? Yeah. And they and that one was red and one was white. And um, you stood next to the, you stood across from the person that you were playing with. He had one circle, you had the other. And you dropped it on the floor and said, call. That was your whole joke. Like as if you were playing poker. Oh. So like, <laughs> I'll raise you. And like, it was so large. that like, it was the largest poker chip ever. And it was like, I was on the floor. I was such a good <laughs> then, props for that joke, no doubt. That's, that's no, I, I can I can actually say that when when you talk about like what to do in a speech, like I can remember when I first started doing any we we don't call them especially in the work that I do. I don't do sermons, right? right. right. Sermons yeah. are like what you do in a synagogue on a sh on, on Shabbat morning, on Saturday morning, and they can last anywhere from ten to minutes to like a half hour, right? And and I want to say I saw you do your sermon once. Mm -hmm. I actually don't, I don't know if you remember that, but I came to I came yeah, to your. Uh, yep, you and Kendra sat next to each other, and you said you told Kendra, "I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in that guy." <laughs> it was that is a, that was a great quote. I don't remember saying that, but I'll take I'll take credit for it, no doubt about it. But the but I remember I could tell you word for word what you said in your sermons. You know that? Do you know what sermon it was? It was the sermon where you talked about that you were running and you oh, said, I can do this. I can do this. Yeah. You remember now? I remember it. And then you saw the guy and then you saw the guy going up the last part of the hill where you oh, had in the failed. wheelchair. You didn't yeah. make it in the wheelchair with one leg. And I was like, 
this is the most amazing drusha I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. And I told all the people who I studied with, I said, I'll tell you what, we don't know how to do it. They know how to do it. I was like, oh. we like sit here and we, we pick up, we pick up. That's part very of kind of like, you. Isn't this really interesting? And then that was the most uplifting. It was great. Anyway. So, but when I first started doing what we call a drusha, right? That's our way of saying a sermon or like a, a vort or a, a devar Torah, right? They're like small. Right. And I, I heard somebody a long time ago say your your best version of the drasha that you could do, the best Devar Torah that you can give, you want perfect timing, no longer than 10 minutes. That's his thing. He was like, 10 minutes is a perfect time for one. I I think when I worked in the different places that I worked, like 10 minutes would have already been like, give me a break. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm like a three or four minute, five minute kind of, you know, like I'll get my idea over. But then Somewhere along the way, I built what I still consider to be my best one, and it and it builds in layers so long that by the time you get to the end, it's like this unbelievable like wait what and like it's like it really hooks you at the end and I and it, and it's not like it's not a deeply meaningful but if you if you're into Jewish text and you're into like looking at the intricacies of what the Torah says and you've known the Torah for like you know and you've known the Old Testament your whole being for your, you know, it doesn't have to be your whole life, but you study it for, and you know the story. And it's like, if it's one of those things that you can get, and you go, it's been under your nose the entire time, but you never even saw it. Yeah. That one probably takes a good, you know, I would say that one comes close to 10 minutes for sure. And each step of the way, you got to keep people going and you go, okay, so you saw this. Okay, great. And then you saw that. Great. And then at the end, you drop the last piece and you kind of go like mic drop and you walk away. Like mm -hmm. it's like, and people go, ha, huh, wow. Yeah. Time, That's time and time and sermons have always been, I'm always perplexed that people have made time their God for, for sermons. Like uh, it, we had a seminary prof that, that said the same thing. He said, 12 minutes and you're out or else people will get upset. And he said, if you can't say it in 12 minutes, it's not worth saying. And part wow. of me was like, yeah, I get that people have an attention span, uh, but this is an art form. It's not like a, like a math problem where there's definitely a Correct. start and a solution. You know, this is an, yep. an art. This is a, a guerrilla theater. Like, like, and so if, yep. if, if what you're creating is, is keeping people's attention, is um, pointing towards a, a singular or a, um, a concise message, right? And you're not going off track and talking about your fishing trip and some random thing right, that right. doesn't make sense or telling random jokes. I think if you're pointing to the same thing and, and illustrating that um, and telling stories and keeping people's attention, um, I don't think people get to the end of it right. of something that was compelling for 30 minutes something that was interesting, mm -hmm. something that was educational that they're wanting to jot down notes the whole time. I don't think they get to the end and go, well, that was too long. You know, it's right, like Star right. Wars or Lord of the Rings. You don't go, geez, did they really need three hours to say that? And you're like, well, <laughs> if you were bored for half of it, yes, but you sat there for three hours, right? No, so that's the thing. That That's the thing. If you, the difference with what you're talking about is that the art form, right, is redaction. The art form is taking something which, and the message that you're trying to convey and conveying it, it's not about necessarily doing it in the least amount of time, but it's like what you said. How many, th how many detours did you need to get there? Did you need that detour to get there or did yeah, you not exactly. need that detour to get there? Exactly, did that That's what I'm prove saying. your point so or was that random? Yeah. Right, so like when I look at a movie these days, I, I still like to say, and this, is, and this is probably coming more from my father who is a literary and you know, movie, he's my mm. connoisseur if you will. I think if you can't say what you need to say in a movie in between an hour and a half and two hours, you, you're not doing your job because editing is your job in a movie, right? It's the same thing. It's not necessarily that you have to hit a mark of 12 minutes, right? But, but there's something about being able to craft something that lasts for that long. Once you start going past that point in a movie, I feel like you're, you're not, you're, it feels a little sloppy to me. Do you know what I'm saying? It isn't yeah. necessarily, it depends on the movie. Like, I, I, I don't like that you use the example of Lord of the Rings. I'll go with, I'll keep with you with like <laughs> Star Wars. I, I fell asleep at Lord of the Rings at every single one, every single time I sat down to watch it, I fell asleep. The first time I did, I think it was actually in the theater and I had been surfing all day. I mean, it was like one of those hurricane swells, you know, in Rhode Island. And I surfed for like 10 hours. 
And then um, when it ended, I mean, when it started, I think I just, I immediately passed out. I was immediately gone. And I was like, oh no. And then I was like, oh, it must've been that I was, that I surfed all day. So I went to the second one and the second one, um, I, second, or should I say the second viewing, I sat down to watch it. And I was like, okay, didn't do anything today. Shouldn't be a problem. Got lots of energy. Boom. I was asleep within five minutes. <laughs> and whenever anyone asks me about it, I always say the same thing. They're like, how could you say that? It's such a beautiful film. And I was like, it would make a great painting or it would make a great picture on the wall. But I don't think it makes a great movie. I'm sure you'll have a different opinion on that. But, but I but think, I mean, the, the illustration, yeah. you, you get the illustration. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, yeah, sure yeah. You've, I'm sure you've seen long movies that have kept you the whole time. I think Avengers Absolutely. Endgame is like over three hours. Um, the Green Mile with Tom Hanks. Like minute sure. for minute, that that movie is packed, and I think that's yep. over three hours. No, 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 for sure. Titanic. I mean, come on. Actually, that one. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to go there. But Titanic. Yeah, we, don't, for, we, don't, we don't need to go there. Uh, yeah, but I, I think with messages, I think people I, people get so hung up on a schedule, at least at, at our in yeah. our crowd. Yeah, yeah. That they're like, we got to be in and out in a tight hour, and you're like, if you need to force God into a tight hour. You've missed yeah. how God works and what God could possibly do. And so part of the work or what I you do, want, or got what maybe even what God wants from you. I mean, that's another thing, right? Yeah. Like so I, I had a I had a teacher when I was studying in New York and he had a, his own synagogue, right? And and in his synagogue they used to say to him, and this is big in, in both on weekday, you know, prayer services and on Shabbat, right? It was always like there's an amount of time, that's what I was gonna say. They would, they would probably, in, in, in the synagogues that I've been to, be more focused on how long does the entire thing take, not necessarily how long does the speaking take. Right. Meaning if your speaking pushes it past their whatever mental 1030 mark that they feel like they need to be out by, because they probably why most of them have not eaten anything yet in the morning, you know what I mean? So they're hungry, but and it doesn't take much to keep when Jews no food are in the next room. We all know that's like or anyone I should say for that matter knows that there's food in the next room. They're not going to be wanting to wait too too long. But, <laughs> yeah. but but so he used to say that people would come to him and say in the mornings you have to shorten up the prayer service, and he he used to say you don't get to say when the prayer service starts. All you get to say is when the prayer service needs to end. Mm -hmm. Then I tell you where it starts. Now, he is not the, the classic rabbi, you know what I mean? But his thing was, there's a certain amount of time that this takes. And it's yeah. going to take that amount of time. If you feel like you need it to end by 8.30, let's move it back to 7.30 or whatever, you know, whatever it is that, they, that needs to be done to make your 8.30 mark. He said, but the 8.30 mark doesn't come from chopping things up and making things shorter in between. It's just, we'll start earlier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I agree a, with you. I, I think there's always a great balance to be had. I, I think the other thing that that focus being too fo hyper focused on time gets in the way of and is an excuse for preachers and teachers to not learn the craft of um, engagement, oration, public speaking, right? Like, how does your intonation change during a story versus a question, right? How does the speed right and cadence of your, um, uh, you know, uh, of your sermon change so that people actually feel like what's going on. You know, um, presidents, presidents, for instance, um, they take these long, most presidents take these long drawn out classes on how and, and, and will be coached on, okay, during this part, you really need to slow way down, say two words, pause, say two words, pause, say two words, pause. And, yep. and in the teleprompters, they'll be fed these lines really slow so they can't do anything else. And I think if we're focused on a tight 10 minutes, we miss yeah. out on like the energy we have to put in. And, and comedians do this. They, they, they naturally so they, learn or know this and they know how right. to keep a crowd. They know how to captivate. Well, they know if they're not captivating their both. audience. I'm going to say, I think comedians are a little bit of both where they also learn it and they work on it. I was actually just listening to a new podcast, which, um, uh, I got clued into it. I'm just going to check the name of it so I don't get it wrong because it was literally, this was the first time I listened. It's, called, it's, it's from Vulture. It's called Good One. It's a mm -hmm. podcast about jokes. And the person takes the host, I don't even know what the host's name is at this point, takes a, a segment that, that a comedian has done, has that comedian on. They listen. First, you listen to the entire segment 
And some of them can be like the one I was listening to was from the guy I told you about last week, Gary Goldman. It's uh-huh. a 20 minute joke. Okay. And then they taught, they analyzed about like, how did you do this? And why did you do that? And, and the interesting thing about it was at first I was like, I'm not sure I like this because yeah. it's not funny. But if you talking, love talking, the craft, analyzing the jokes, yeah, it's not right. It's, but, but if you love the craft of comedy, then yeah. it works for you. So here's my question to you. When you do your sermon, do you read it? Oh no. Is it a, have you typed it out? Uh, I usually have an outline and I either have that outline visually memorized, like an image of it, or I have it in, in the outline in front of me, but rarely do I have the whole thing typed out. So you and I are very much the same, which is interesting because what you're talking about is interesting. Cause like when you were saying like there, there's parts where in this part of the speech, you have to slow down. Like that's, you have to have it totally written out in order to do that. And you're going to probably craft the wording of everything that you're doing in a specific way, which I do think adds a lot to a speech. But what you lose is you lose the spontaneity. So you and I, I feel like, very much are a combination of what we used to do together, where we would do stand-up comedy and we'd have written jokes, right? And then the, re- and then the improv piece. Like, I will never get up in front of a, a group of people and have a word-for-word thing about what I'm about to do. I can't. Like, I don't even like to read in front of people, so it doesn't work for me from the get-go. But I also know that I will lose everything that I'm trying to do. And I, and I will lose my sort of train of thought if it's actually like I have to find the spot where I was a second ago when I just looked up and I looked at the yeah. people and tried to engage with them. Yeah. You're, not the the you're, not the, you're not in the moment. You're not in the moment. You're on the page. It. Yeah. Right. And, and, and the more you can be in the moment. Right. So what I say is right. over over prepare, uh, under present. So when I when I, I prepare, I've, I've got it. You know, I practice it in front of my mirror or just to myself. And then, and then I can get up there and free form. And if something comes to mind or somebody does something in the, yep. in the congregation, yep. then you could take it in a different way, but you have to be, you know, you have to know what you're going to say, you know, and you see people who are so wrapped up in getting the words, right. Getting the, uh, the theology and the doctrine, you know, down to a science of word for word. And then they miss out on the right. fact that people need some common language or someone who's likable and, and, and knows right. their lifestyle and stuff more than they need proper doctrine and, and uh, you know, the, the right mm-hmm. phrases that have been passed down for centuries and centuries. Now, those are important, but if you don't pair right. those with being in the moment, being practical, um, you're missing out on really, you know, catching people's attention. No, and I think you also, what you also miss, I think there was times when I first started out that I would be sad when I went and I looked back at my outline. Yeah. I don't make it Like I will sit down and I will, I will, I don't, I don't usually at this point practice the actual speaking of it. I don't do it out like that anymore. Um, or at least, I mean, I, I, there's been a while since I did it. There was a time where I was working and I was teaching and every, you know, every other Tuesday night I would be doing some sort of, you know, teaching of Torah in front of a group. And so what I would do is I would, you know, I, there was a time where I would have an outline. I wouldn't get upset. I'd go back to the outline and I'd say, oh, I can't believe I forgot that point. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I was so in the moment, right? But at the same time, when I, what I probably wouldn't go back and do is look back and say, ah, but look at all the other things you added in that moment, right? Yep. Some of my best teaching moments came from, and there was a time actually, I don't know if I'm going to do it again this year, but for the last uh, five years, I have worked with, um, I've been teaching basic, you know, Judaica, whether it be some of the law, some of the Torah, but it's mostly law. I've been teaching that to uh, a group of women who have special needs. And they um, could, it could be any group, any, anything from Down syndrome, no short term memory. I mean, and the, and the stories that come from this are absolutely amazing. I mean, that, it was an amazing experience working with them. It's still, I, if, it, if it continues, it'll be an amazing, hopefully it'll be an amazing experience this year too. But, the, but there was a time where I was teaching them and I needed to explain to them how the different um, texts that we have interrelate. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to explain to them how all the, because what happens is the Torah is the basis for everything. Torah and the, uh, sorry, Torah, um, and then prophets and writings. Those three sections of the Old Testament for us are the basis for everything for law. But then 
you have something called the Mishnah, which is the first real work of law that the rabbis sort of compiled, in a sense. And then the, the, the commentary on that is called the Talmud or the Gemara. Mm-hmm. And then the commentary on that is called Halakha, or what we have as Jewish law. God bless you. Well, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, um, I had to explain to them how those interrelate. And I, and I literally on the fly, because I, you know, I've been working with this stuff for the longest time, I was able to say to them, oh, okay, so imagine, right, we believe the Torah is the spoken word of God, right? And Moshe, um, Moses wrote it down, but uh-huh. it's the spoken word of God, right? So I said, imagine that you all were sitting here, all of the students here were saying, there, we have a, 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 we're going on a field trip today. And the field trip is at one o'clock. And I said, and then somebody said, wait a minute, the field trip's not at one o'clock. I spoke to, the, um, to one of the people who's like our um, you know, counselor, right? They have a counselor who sort of lives on campus with them. The, one of the counselors told me that it's actually at two o'clock. I said, now that's a good proof text, right? Because you can say that person said that. That would be like the Talmud, right? Or the Mishnah, right? That would be that source of law. I said, but what if then somebody said to you, oh, no, 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 no. I spoke to the director about it. Well, that would be more like, um, I don't know, something in between, Mishnah, whatever. And then I said, and then what if somebody actually said, no, I have the flyer from the beginning of the year that says the entire calendar, that would be like Torah. And like that example that I came up with, they all kind of went, oh yeah, I get it. I never would have been able to come with that, that example before. What like sit down and go, oh, I'm gonna teach them about this by this. It just, that's how it comes out of you. You know what I mean? When you're ready and you've learned and you're prepared, you know what I mean? These things come up. Yeah, and I think you've got to live it a bit too, right? Like you've got to sit with that message. I think a lot of uh, pastors and rabbis and, and preachers, um, they read the Bible in order to preach and they're just getting it out into a format that is preachable. They're not trying to live forgiveness or they're not reading it four weeks in advance, four weeks in advance or a month in, or a couple months in advance and thinking about, okay, where have I seen forgiveness? Where do I need to forgive? What stories? Right. Cause the more I find every time I preach something, and I know it before the night, you know, I know it long enough before the week before or the, the night before mm-hmm. I have to preach it there, there, the instances just come up and I have to live it, whether it's that mm-hmm. I've come through this already. And, and this is a good example. Um, or gosh, now I'm going to wrestle with this, right? Like God will, 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 um, who was it? Um, this is going to prove how bad of a pastor I am. Who was it? The, the angel Gabriel, he wrestled with God, right? Was it Gabriel? No. Angel, um, who wrestled with the angel? About, you're talking in the old, that, that was Jacob. That was Jacob. Jacob, yes. Jacob, right. Jacob wrestled with the angel through through the night until the morning. Yes, and so you've got to. I think you got to wrestle with it, or else you're just getting right. it on the paper to do a job, and you've missed the point that people need a guide and a not mm. just a not just a teacher who's so removed. They need someone who's doing this and lived this and has some you know experience. And I think the more we live it the more you kind of get up there and you go, well, this is what I see. And this is what God says, uh, rather than, you know, having your, having yeah. your notes right in front of you and trying to. So I had this, notes. we had this interesting thing where we went, uh, our family vacation, we went up North, um, for two weeks about a month ago. And I went to go look at a new surf spot that I had heard about a while back, somebody had sent me uh, a, you know, a pin to a spot that he said was really good for surfing. And I had never gone to check it out. And it was like during the afternoon and I said, hey kids, who wants to pile in the car with me and go check out this spot? Mm-hmm. So my older two kids said, we'll come. So we hopped in the car and we went and, it, and, the, and Google Maps took us on like a dirt road. And, I, and it was sand. I mean, I knew it was a sandy road and I knew that I was like, and I've done some teaching of surfing in different parts of the world in Santa Cruz and whatever driven like big, you know, trucks and things and trailers onto the beach. So I know how like you can sink in sand and how bad, you know, you have to be careful about it. So I was watching and seeing, and we, we, we got to like the parking lot and we looked at the spot. Unfortunately it was, it didn't look like that much to me, but I knew there was another spot in between where we were and where we were staying. And I decided to go a different way back. According to my daughter, she said, no, don't go that way. Let's go the way back that we came. 
I don't remember hearing that. But then again, usually as a father, those things don't even go in one ear, let alone going out the other ear. So I started to drive back this other way. And within about a minute, we were stuck in the sand. I mean, I was going up a hill. We got halfway up this hill in the sand. I and spun back around. And we were just, we were in the sand. I was like, there's no, I don't know how we're going to get out of this, right? So I'm kind of freaking out. And my kids are like in the back. They can tell that something was up. But I was trying to keep my cool, but give me a break. It's like 90 degrees outside. I'm in sand trying to dig my car out by myself in the middle of like nowhere, right? And so my kids are freaking out. And all of a sudden, I see a car come down the road towards me. And it's coming down the path. And I look. And, he, and I could, I mean, like, I couldn't see the driver, but I saw exactly what the driver did. He saw me, threw it in reverse, and started going the other way. Oh and it was, a, it, was a, it was a RAV4 that he was driving. So I knew that he had a four-wheel drive. And I'm waving my arms, no, please come help me. And sure enough, <laughs> he, he, like, he stops. And I could see he paused for a minute, kind of going like, oh, God, I got to go help this guy. So he came, and he shows it up. And I said, listen, I, I need you to help pull me out. He goes, well, do you have like the cords to attach our cars together? If you could, you, I could get you out in a second. And I said, well, I have my surf strap. And he goes, yeah, that'll work. And he goes, where's the like, you know, that like ring that you have on the bottom of the car that you can attach to like tow things or whatever, get towed. You know what I'm talking about? There's like a ring <laughs> that hitch. like exists. Yeah. That's, no, it's not, a, it's not the thing that comes off the back, like that looks like a, almost like a boot that sticks up in the air. It's like a ring that's supposed to be attached to, a, to the frame of the car. So that like, if you were to tie something onto your bumper, you'd t- and the guy tried to pull you, he'd tear your whole bumper off, right? So but on the frame, okay, that, on the front or something. So, yeah. Right. So mine ended up being that it's not actually on there. We were freaking out for a minute because he was like, I don't know where it is. And it, there's some where you actually have to screw it into a spot on the car. We screwed it in. Why didn't you just sit in, in the car and hold it? That would that would have worked too. <laughs> hold for, it. for good. Or wrap it around your arm a couple times. It's yeah, like the, the joke about the guy with the mattress on the roof of the car and he has his arm out the window <laughs> holding it as if a gust of wind blows that thing away. He's, he's going to be strong enough to hold the mattress down. So, so, by the way, you know that our friend John, um, I don't know if you said you knew John or not, but John had these horrible surf racks on his car and told me that he was once driving across, it was either the Jamestown Bridge or the Newport Bridge and the wind was horrible. And sure enough, the whole rack came off and his boards just started going up in the air. And he did that. He just threw his arm out, grabbed the boards and made it across to the other side. And oh like my gosh. the boards didn't go. And, my, and when I got our new car, I said to my wife, like, I really want to get real racks for the car. Cause we can't always, I can't always have the boards in the car with the kids in the car and the family. Yeah, in the car. Yeah. And she goes, why don't you get like the cheapest rack? And I said, no, no, no. John was driving across the bridge. And like, I had this whole story to be like, you got to get the Thule rack. So I got the Thule rack. Anyway. All right. So you're in the so, car. You're holding the strap for dear life. I'm holding. I, I tied it to my kid. So she's fine. They tied it back. She's holding on. Put it in your teeth. <laughs> she was great. So the, um, so uh, he starts, we, we figured out, tied on, pulls us out in like one second. It was great. And as we're driving away, my daughter goes, God, isn't God amazing that he sent him to come help us? And I said, and this is Maytal, she's 10 years old. Yeah. And I said, you know, Maytal, it's an interesting thing that you say. And I don't like to, I, I'm not, my whole thing is whether I'm teaching people, whether I'm you know, working with a synagogue or whether I'm working with my kids, I don't like to sugarcoat things. And I don't like to tell kids, I, I teach kids the way that I think it works. I don't want to reteach things. I think that that's a horrible methodology. I don't give them, you know, I don't tell them that this story is actually in the Torah if it's not actually in the Torah, right? Which some people don't distinguish between those things. This is the Torah. This is an external thing from the Torah. And it's important, but it's not in the Torah. You got to know those things. Otherwise, you don't understand how everything's working. So she says to me, can you believe that God sent him to come get us? And I said, you know what's amazing, Natal? It's hard to know how God works in the world. I said, but when I've seen God in the world, it's always been because of timing. And I said, sometimes things work out in a way that you, when you look about, when you look in, in retrospect, you go, well, how in, the, how in the world would that have worked out that way if it wasn't actually pre-planned? Now, what do I mean by that? I said to her, God you know, somehow managed to work out the timing that he was there at that exact moment when we were stuck. If we'd been there 10 minutes earlier, you know, maybe he wouldn't have seen us. Maybe he wouldn't have come. Who knows? 
And I said, but, to, and then she, she kind of went, oh, okay, I guess I see that. And I said, but let me tell you something that you didn't hear the driver of the other car say. He said to me as he finished pulling me out and I thanked him profusely. I actually tried to like, take him out to dinner to thank him. It didn't work out. But I, I said to him, you know, thank you so much. And he turns to me and he says, you know, what's amazing. I said, what? He says, this is a brand new car. If you had had this problem a week ago, I wouldn't have been able to pull you out. And I said, there's something that happens in the world that I can't explain. I think it's inexplicable. And it's a time thing where things sort of work out and you go, you might not even see it at that moment, but sometime when you look back, you're going to go, right. yep, I can see where there was a thread here. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, that God stuck God's finger into the world and changed the laws sure, of nature, but sure. somehow these things work together. And, and it's an amazing thing. It, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of it every time I see it. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. The two questions I get to that most often are, what about if that same coincidence went horribly wrong, right? Like, what if that guy stabbed you in the throat and stole your car, right? Would you yep. have still said, that's God? So what if it went bad? And the other one is, what about people who didn't get that help, right? Like when someone yep. says, yep. oh, oh yep. my doctor, my doctor cured me of cancer. What a blessing from God. And they're right. talking to a crowd of people who have cancer and haven't been cured. And they go, well, what about me? How come God's not working yep. in my life? No, no, for sure. Okay, a couple things. My answers for that would be number one, right? There's a classic answer that I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever given before in your life, but it's a horrible answer for a case like cancer, but I'm going to give it anyway. That's what I'm here for, right? horrible answers. <laughs> I think that's why people are listening. Horrible answers. Yes, horrible answers and <laughs> like, wrong <laughs> And winging it. That's what, we're, that's what we're here for. So the... Uh, so, Number one is what I tell people is when people say to me, you know, why wasn't my prayers answered? The classic answer, right, is that sometimes the answer is no. And it's a hard thing to hear. But yeah. that's not an answer that you give to somebody who's had cancer, right? When, when somebody says, I prayed as hard as I possibly could, and it didn't, you know, whatever it was, when it was, you know, I wanted a Lamborghini. I don't know. Sometimes the answer is no. But that's not the answer I would give in that. Instance. First of all, I would always say that the view that you're looking at something is, is potentially a very narrow view. Right, right. It's you're probably, looking at it's this probably just about yourself, yeah. Not only yourself, but also this instance right here. We have a saying in, in Hebrew that says, Gam Zulatova. It comes from a story in the Talmud and some of the later works where there was a person whose name was Gamzu, right? And Gamzu also means also, Gamzu, those two words mean also this, and Tova means good. Also, this is for the good. Jews are, are commanded, so to speak, to say, even when things are very, very difficult, that this also comes from God, and this is also for the good. Yes. It's an impossible task. It's an impossible task. But what I, say, what I mean by the local view is, you might say right now, X and X didn't work out for me. God forbid somebody stabbed you and stole your car. If you wouldn't get very far with my car because it was still stuck in the sand. You'd have to get it out of there one yeah. way or another. <laughs> <Man>. right? <laughs> the blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah, right. He's, he's not going to come after the the. He'll come after lower hanging fruit if that's what he's coming for. But, but the but that thing. Let's say something bad happened at that point, right? Maybe someday you would be able to look back and say, yeah, that bad thing happened then. But look what it led to. I never would have met such and such, or I never would have gotten to this, or I never like. We can all do that when we've had enough distance from a bad experience, right? We can have enough distance from a bad experience. We can say, look at what I learned from it or look what came from it or look where I ended up in my life, right? But when you're looking on the local level, when you're looking at that narrow view, it's almost impossible to see, you know. Right, that exclusively personal, that, like it's all right. about me and my well-being and, and if I'm not thriving. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing right. wrong with that view. Like That view is a natural human view. And and in some ways, what I'm saying is a bit of apologetic, right? It's a bit of an apologetic, but at the same time, I mean, I can tell you from personal experiences in my life, I mean, you know that I was married once before, right? Mm -hmm. And that now with my wife and my kids, I couldn't be happier. Thank God we have a beautiful family and things are going very well in, in that realm of my world. But there was a time where things were really hard and I asked, you know, really hard questions of myself and of God, and that was not easy. Mm -hmm. I said, but right now, if you ask me, wow, you went through a divorce that was, you know, in some respects, challenging. I mean, all divorces are challenging in some way or not. They're not, they're, none of them are a cakewalk, right? But, but 
where I am now, what I say and who I am now, what I turn back and say, geez, I really wish that hadn't happened. No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. I say right now, I'm much happier with who I am, how I live in the world, how I function in the world because of that experience. But at that point, there's no way I could have told you that. Yeah. And do you think like just, I mean, in the, it's going through that divorce um, and even the grief that followed afterwards, do you, did you have that, that sense of like, God's working for my growth and I'm going to learn something from this. When did that thought enter your, enter the process? So I'll tell you this, that, that, that I think I tried very hard throughout the entire process to have that focus on, right. To to have that, my, my sort of an eye to how this was going to be something which would improve my well being and improve who I am and make me a better person. Don't now, the Jew, don't isn't there a Jewish or a Hebrew word for that like a like a holy effort or like um, like something you're striving for for God? What is that? Well, we call that avodat Hashem, right? Avodat Hashem means the service of God, right? And service of God is what we do when we can say when we learn, when we're studying, right? When we do, when we pray, those are all things that are called avodat Hashem. Um, but one of the one of the biggest challenges is what we're talking about is to is to keep that eye towards oh this is also from God this is also for the good I just can't see it right now and God's got a plan for me all those sorts of things are are good things to keep in mind um, yeah. but I'll tell you there was a point um, when I what, I wasn't going to use this example but that that timing example I definitely didn't use it when I was speaking to my daughter Beital you know what I mean about this but. She, you know, we've had many conversations about those sort of trials and tribulations of my life, but this specific example was one I couldn't, I I mean, it is inexplicable to me, which is that in my life up until a couple of weeks ago, I never had any debt, right? I was always, thank God my parents were able to put me through um, college with money that they inherited and I was able to not have to have, you know, student loans for the rest of my life. That was an amazing gift that, that thank God, my great-grandmother gave to me and my siblings, right? Um, my, and then when I went to graduate school, all the graduate school work that I did, uh, there was some sort of, um, you know, tuition where I was in food and school, which was an amazing thing. And, some, and one of them, I think, even had a stipend at times. So I, 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 was, I made it through all the schooling that I did without debt. When I, when I was going through that divorce was the only time in my life that I ever went into debt. And I think I went into debt for exactly something like $236.40 or something. I mean, it's something in around that ballpark. And I know this, yeah. why? Because as the divorce was sort of proceeding and I went into debt, out of nowhere, literally I felt like out of nowhere, my wife my ex-wife decided to split our joint bank account and give me the, the benefit. I didn't ask for it. I didn't think it was coming, but all of a sudden I got a check through the lawyer that I was working with for literally $236. For what you owed. Wow. That's cool. And I was like, and, and as much as that sounds hokey and corny and all those things, I just knew at that moment, because it was really hard at that moment. I said, that's just God's little way of saying, I got you. Yeah, it's just like a little bone. It's like a little, little, little sign of life there, right? Like you may yeah. not feel it right now, but here's a little something. Believe me, you know, in um, in a, in the the New Testament, um, the in Romans eight, it says, and we know that in all things God is working for our good. And so mm-hmm. the part that that you that it sounds like you're saying is that you know he Paul writes in all things, right? And so right. we have to go well the divorce isn't good. So how could God be working on this? The pain I feel, the loss I feel, the money that I'm paying doesn't feel good. But that little bone along the way reminds you like, okay, it is in all things. God's doing something. Uh, What is it? Where is it? How can we find it? So you, so you had a sense that, um, you know, that, that, that things were going to work out in some way, but that, when do you think your mindset turned and you're like, oh, I did realize, I did learn some stuff or I did grow in a certain way? Oh, I, I got to tell you, in, in my life, there was, I mean, without going into too many details, it was a very challenging relationship. And I felt like a lot of the time um, I, I realized at the moment that I decided to sort of walk out, and even though that decision wasn't 
a decision. And thank God we had no children. It wasn't like a hard decision. It was just an ending of a relationship. It wasn't an end, you know, it wasn't a, um, an ending of a family. To make it even so worse, different. weren't you guys living in Canada? <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I've never lived in Canada. Thank goodness I've never been landlocked from the, from the ocean in that way in my life. We lived, at that point, we were living in Long Island. I know. I'm joking. You were married in Canada. Yes, I was married in Canada. What a what a what a place to go. Especially, by the way, as you I don't just sort of sidebar. When the the Shabbat, the before we got married, we got married on the Sunday. The Shabbat before we got married was the longest Shabbat of the year. And everything that happens with Shabbat, right, functions around the the, the clock. Right, when the sun goes up, the sun yeah. goes down. It starts when the sun goes down the next night. An hour later, it ends. Yeah, it's so like it's like the rhythm of my bowels. <laughs> nice, well played, <laughs> and that's always working for the good. Remember that, Ralph. Yes, so when we all things, when we all things. So we, uh, so that Shabbat, right? If it's the longest summer day in Edmonton, Canada, Shabbat went out at eleven thirty at night, which means some people wouldn't even like they would just wake up the next day and go okay I'll just I'll just end Shabbat the next day I'm not even going to wait till midnight to call sure. that like that experience was anyway that's just a sidebar note so the um but the minute I decided to walk out even though I didn't know when I was walking out I wasn't coming back immediately I knew that something had changed in me and that I was no longer the same person and we have a thing in Judaism that what we talk about during this time of year which is a thing called tshuva tshuva is um, the process of repentance. Um, and during Yom Kippur, which just ended yesterday, um, and during Rosh Hashanah, which was the week before, this entire time is, uh, the, the, actually the 10 days in between um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the 10 days of repentance. And you're supposed to really focus on that time on making yourself a better person. And one of the major teachers, one of the rabbinic figures, uh, probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest rabbinic figure, um, in Judaism in the last century was a, a person named Rav Soloveitchik. And Rav Soloveitchik had this idea that said, God sort of decrees something for you, right? God says, if you've done something wrong, there's a bad decree, right? And you've done something wrong, there's going to be a punishment for that, right? And then, but then you do tshuva and you repent for that thing and the punishment gets torn up. But he says, why does the punishment get torn up? The punishment doesn't get torn up because you said, sorry. That's not why the punishment gets torn up. The punishment gets torn up because the person that was supposed to be punished no longer exists. You have changed who you are. And so the, it's almost as if the, the punishment no longer even applies because that person isn't in existence anymore. Because so the punishment for, the goes away. The, so essentially the forgiveness changes you. Well, it's not even, in, in our sense, it's not that the forgiveness changes you. It's that you have made such a conscious decision to not do that thing wrong again, that you have, and that you've sort of recognized that that thing was wrong. You've either apologized to the person you need to apologize, you've apologized to God, right? You have now changed yourself as to a person who no longer does that thing. That's the goal, right? Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so if you're a person who will no longer do that thing, then the punishment is, you know, is, is torn up in, for you. And And the moment I sort of, finished that uh, relationship and moved on, I knew that I could never go back to that relationship because right away I knew that we would no longer, the dynamic that we had together was over. The dynamic where she would sort of um, be upset with me and I would sort of, you know, cower in the corner and say, oh, you know, and like take whatever was coming to me. It was over. Like anybody who would push my buttons from that moment on and try to, you know, engage me in that way, probably gets a much more of a push back than I ever used to do. And immediately I said, I think I said it to her at one point, I mean, it was a couple of weeks after I, I, you know, first sort of ventured on my own to figure out if it was going to continue or not continue. I said, I said, it's, it's just, we don't, we won't work anymore. And I'm not the same person. Hmm. And so immediately I knew though, that also it wasn't just, I wasn't the same person anymore. And I was mourning my lost self. I was, I was happy with who I had become. I, I was much happier being a person who could stand on his own two feet and say what needs to be said and stand up for himself. Yeah, and that's a great example because I think people always think like if God has done work on you or in your life, um, you're going to be like there's some, you should be thriving or healing or it should have been easy, right? Like it should have, right. like it's a, like a miraculous intervention, which God can and does do. 
However, most of the time it comes through pain and growth. For Christians, it comes through death, right? Like, like the, the Messiah only came through suffering, pain, death on a cross. You know, so I think for a lot of us, we, that's what, you know, our, our, where we as Christians, we see our connection with God is that it doesn't just come through the good stuff. It came through a lot of awful yeah. stuff and an execution. And so when, you know, like when you're in it, you're like, I'm a different person. And I, I've lived, you know, this resurrection only because I went through some pain and I, I, I thought about it as a way of growing. I think so many people get wrapped up in the misery of, or the pity of woe is me, or why am I suffering, or why aren't things changing? And right. yeah, that, that, that's, that's one of the phases in loss and grief and pain. But if you're right. not moving beyond that to figure out, okay, what did I learn from this? How do I change? Who am I anew now? The work that God's trying to do often gets missed and you know, we're bound to sort of repeat um, mm-hmm. the same pain if we're not, you know, grown and changed by whatever Absolutely. we're going through. Absolutely. It was interesting because, because you, what you clued into just now was we had a conversation the other night about differences in um, burial rituals uh-huh. because of uh, the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the first Jew to oh, yeah. ever be in the state, in the state, you know, laid in turn in the state. And the yeah. reason that that's probably never happened before not sure. I didn't do any research to check this, but one of the reasons why that probably has not happened in the past is um, the burial procedures in traditional Judaism are momentary, meaning somebody could pass away in an afternoon uh-huh. and there will be a burial here in Jerusalem at 930 that night. And the mm-hmm. point of that is sort of what you were talking about, which is that we immediately go from the state of What's, what the state, the, the religious um, category that you're in at the point of when someone dies, a close family member dies, you're in the state of what's called being an onain. An onain means um, I am not, I, we normally have, um, I believe it's 248 positive commandments that we have to do. We talked about it last week a little bit. But when I'm in, when I'm in mourning, that doesn't apply. I, I, I don't have to do any positive commandments. I only have to keep the negative commandments. So what does that mean? That means I can't go have a ham and cheese sandwich, but I don't, I don't have to um, pray like I normally have to pray three times. Right, in the, in the same, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm absolved from that until this um, very heavy command that I have to do, which is to bury the dead, is done. But immediately when that's done, once it's finished, we immediately move into those seven days where people are coming and all I'm doing for those seven days is talking about the person that I lost. But you don't talk about it in a way, or at least we try not to talk about it in a way of like, how could this happen? And then all you talk about, all, all you hear people generally speaking, talking about is well, it's not a horrible tragedy and it's a, you know, a death of, you know, somebody who's of age or whatever, you know, normal uh, processes. Yeah. You hear people talking about the things that they learned from that person and who they, who they, sure. you know, what lessons they want to garner from that person and, and taking it with you. And sort of, like you said, you're, you're not, you're not going to do You're trying not to dwell so hard on the pain. I mean, it's, it's part of it for sure, but you don't, you want to sort of keep the, I remember when I was, when I was in maybe middle school, my great grandmother passed away and she lived around the corner from us. Hmm. We went to the funeral. And, the, and what happens is you go to the funeral, you come back to the house to sit Shiva the seven days, and immediately you're eating. And I said to my mother, what in the world is going on here? Why are we eating right now and, and seeming like we're happy? And my mother said, the first lesson that you learn when you, when you have mourning is that one of the first things you give somebody who is in the mourning state is you give them something to eat, which is circular. And that thing is supposed to represent the circle of life, that this keeps going. It's a wheel. That the life yeah. keeps moving on. And immediately, Jews are moving, not trying to move on and forget, but move and continue and learn and grow from the process. Mm. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. And that's, I think that's something that, that um, at least both our religions are sort of counter-cultural. You know, like, I think having an essence that there's, there's something... Uh, circular, there's something moving in a way that we don't, you know, we don't always recognize in a, in a, in our day to day. And I think a lot of people who don't have that 
um, religious foundation, uh, whatever it looks like, don't have that. They're, they're, they're kind of, I think a lot of, I see a lot of people sort of blowing in the wind, like whatever comes to them, that's how they're going to re- respond or react rather than trying to say, okay, this is, there's a cycle, there's a movement, there's a growth. So maybe for next time, we'll talk about, you know, our two takes on whether or not uh, a religion, having someone with a strong religious connection should be a Supreme Court justice or not be a Supreme Court justice. Okay, I'll, I'll do my due diligence and prep for that. That sounds good. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, good chatting with you. Thanks again. On the count of three, say what you think the name of the podcast should be. Okay. okay. One, two, three. Can that's you believe this? Funny. Wait, what? no. That's not, I, um, that's not what we agreed on. Wait, I thought we agreed on... Uh, All right, well, we're going to have to... We'll work it out for the next. Oh, okay. That sounds good to me. (laughs)